0: Welcome to the Tom Bernard Show. I am sitting in for Tom Bernard. He'll eventually be here. We promise. And with me is...
1: Tevin Pittman. Alex Brampernard-Rasmussen. Andy Bernard And Mike Bryant.
0: And we'll be back after these fabulous messages from our fabulous
2: sponsors. You want to in do a a bit. No, I won't put her through that.
0: <laughs> oh. Well, you can just, like, talk. You can just talk. And I'll just agree. <laughs> How about
2: You're that? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I'll just agree with anything you have to say.
2: Yeah, you won't, because then I would, like, come up with stuff that you'd be like, no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> 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 All right.
1: you don't John trust Brian. me. Just <laughs> <All right, then. laughs> run, Doug,
2: and we can go from there.
1: Okay. <laughs>
3: Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest?
2: Uh, We're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again, we're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? Pat's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, JLo."
2: They ship today.
0: Welcome back to the Tom Bernard Show. Without Tom Bernard for now. It's called the family, but. Uh,
4: you know, I'm never going to get the over calling
0: changed. it the Tom Bernard Show. Because really show. <laughs> wow, it really is his show. It really is his show. That's yeah. true.
4: Right? Do we have the guest? Yes, it's the guest show right now yeah.
0: Oh yes, we've got uh, Dr. Andrees with us
4: Yeah
5: Yes
0: Hello, how are morning, you today? Everyone. Good morning, we've got uh, uh, Dr. Well,
5: well.
0: Dr. Stanley Andrees Not only a doctor, but an author mm-hmm. His new book is called From Prison Cells to PhD It is Never Too Late to Do Good uh, You've got quite the story here I was reading your uh, descriptor Can you just Tell us in your own words what what happened when you were young yeah. and how you turned into a a doctor and an author.
5: <laughs> sure. First, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to share with your audience. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a formerly incarcerated person with three felony convictions, was sentenced to 10 years in prison as a prior and persistent and career criminal was told by the prosecutor that uh, I was hopeless and was going to be in this revolving door of incarceration. Fast forward some time, uh, I'm now Dr. Stanley Andres, an endocrine scientist, professor at Howard University College of Medicine, formerly at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Uh, Also, I hold visiting professorships at at Georgetown Medicine and. I didn't think that was quite enough title, so I I took my hustle across the <laughs> pick and took my talents uh, uh, on the other side of the pond. And I'm also a visiting professor at uh, Imperial College London, which is uh, kind of an Ivy League of, of the UK. Um, so clearly, I didn't quite live up to the expectations and prophecy of this of this prosecutor, who who thought I was, you know, in my early 20s, going to be, uh, you know, stuck. the revolving door of incarceration um so you know you mentioned talk a little bit about my childhood i'm I'm from the ferguson missouri area uh, of north st louis i think we all know a little bit about ferguson um and you know different things that 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 went on of course my challenges were previous to everyone knowing about the uh excessive and over policing and things of that nature but um I got involved in, in selling drugs before I was even a teenager, was arrested for the first time at 14 years old, continued to make poor decisions that, that led me deeper and deeper into the criminal legal system uh, to that point that I was sitting you know, in that courtroom in my early 20s looking at 20 years to life in prison. Um, and you know, even also to the – I talk about this in the book – there's a we, we know I talk a little bit about what's going what was going on in Ferguson and, and things of that nature. Uh but on on my personal level, which is true for many people that end up in the system, before I even was labeled a criminal officially by the system, you know, that first arrest and conviction, uh, in the classroom I was already kind of seen as a criminal and bad person. I was already placed into this school to prison pipeline, even, you know, as early as elementary and middle school, where I was just in and out of detention and suspension and almost being expelled and just thought of as kind of the troublemaker and um, really um, hadn't, my intellectual capabilities hadn't really been harvested or nurtured uh, as much as the idea of me being a troublemaker was being...
0: What was the catalyst for... What was the catalyst for you Uh, to change? I'm sorry. I'm having a little cutting out here.
5: Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I can now. Yes.
4: Thank you.
5: Oh, sorry about that. I'm sorry. If I interrupted Um, you, I'm
0: sorry. I thought that you had stopped
5: talking.
4: (laughs) All's good on this end. Oh, no, no, no. Okay.
0: Okay.
5: Yeah, yeah. So the, the catalyst for change was a combination of uh, two things, really. Um, so if I could even talk a little bit about my uh, sentencing day. Um, so I had already been in and out of um, courthouses and the criminal legal system for some time. Um, and sitting in the courtroom, having the prosecutor kind of paint this picture of me being this dangerous threat to society and all the... You know, her mentioning all the things that I had truly done, there was, you know, facts to the things that she was mentioning, uh, but the stroke of the brush was really that I was this irreparable person, um, Mm -hmm. and that really sunk deep into, you know, a young, I was still a young kid, essentially, in my early 20s, um, and really believed a lot of what was being told, and what was being said about me. and. One thing I usually share is on that particular day, when the judge finally gave her sentence of ten years, uh, I was just completely like blown away and just in disbelief and kind of in this out of body experience. When I finally came back to, I asked the judge if I could go hug my mother, and uh, she denied me the opportunity Uh, uh, to go hug uh, my mother. who At this point, was bawling in tears. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, We're we're an immigrant family, so from you know my family's Haitian. We kind of were really close knit. Um, so it was a, a devastating blow to her and the family. And, you know, all I wanted to do was go console her in that moment just to give her one hug before I went away. And the judge denied me that opportunity. And that, although I had been in and out of the system already, it was at that point that it was, just hit me like a ton of bricks that, you know, I'm no longer seen as a person. I'm just a criminal, I'm just an inmate, I'm just an offender with a number. Um, And I'm not afforded the civility and humanity that you would, you know, give a person to, you know, hug their mother. And prison, then you go into prison, and almost every day is another, you know, major hit in the face of that you don't have value and importance. So that was this challenge I was going through. And to get to, to your question about what was the turning point, like I was going through this You know, early on in my incarceration, this very deep depression and even moving into having suicidal thoughts and that my life was over, Um, and there's this psychological, emotional toll that's being put on folks who go through that particular experience. Um, I I was fortunate enough to have this mentor step into my life that really saw me using the talents and um, potential I had in a different manner he started investing in that potential um, and literally putting money in my books and spending time to contact me and stay in touch. Uh, That person tied with, um, over the course of about two years, my dad went through a number of hospitalizations, surgeries and amputations to where he uh, eventually lost his battle with type 2 diabetes. Um, And I felt, Uh, I had become kind of estranged from uh, my father and um, through all the poor decisions that I was making. And that really, I felt a level of guilt that he was relatively healthy before I left. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he fell very ill and and then eventually lost that battle. Um, But what it did for me was I began to become very intrigued in learning about how diabetes takes someone to that level so i asked this mentor that had stepped into my life to start sending me uh scientific articles on diabetes i read my first scientific article on diabetes while i was locked in a cage and what that actually did for me was um you know although my body was physically locked in this prison cell my mind was freely roaming through the human cell, and I developed this love for what I do now, I didn't know that it would take me to becoming, you know, Dr. Stan Andrews. I just started falling in love with the science of the human cell and, and, and diabetes. Um, and, you know, a scientific article, if you know you or any of your viewers are familiar, it's very difficult to read through every other word. is something that you've never heard of before, and there's no dictionary for it. So it would literally take me days weeks even months to just go through one article but that was actually beneficial because it helped me like free myself from being incarcerated like my mind being incarcerated from this idea that I was hopeless and uh, irreparable. Um, and that led to me really starting to believe in myself like and believing what this mentor was telling me about continuing my education eventually he and others helped me put together a number of applications while I was still incarcerated uh, to continue my education. Um, I was, you know, it took months and months to put these together and almost immediately just rejection after rejection, I was rejected from every single place I applied to more than likely because I had to check the box that I was a convicted, uh, you know, I had a criminal conviction. And, you know, so rejected from everywhere except for St. Louis University where this uh, mentor was on the admissions committee. And, you know, I got into St. Louis University and kind of never, never looked back. I completed my MBA and Ph.D. at the top of my class in much shorter time than my peers. Jeez. Moved on to Johns Hopkins, Howard, and all those all those other places that i mentioned.
2: So did a majority of your education take place outside of when you got out of prison, or did you get some of the basics while you were in prison?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, so the work... <laughs> Uh, that we're doing now at my organization, which uh, uh, bears the you know, same name as the title of the book, From Prison Cells a PhD. And I could you know, hopefully share a few words about that before we jump off. Sure. Um, but what I, I did not, uh, unfortunately, uh, and this is why the work that we do now at the organization is so important, and uh, the landscape has certainly changed since I was incarcerated. But in, in Missouri, when I was incarcerated, there were no educational opportunities available. Um, so I was unable to tap into any educational offerings, uh, while I was incarcerated. They offered GED, uh, but, uh, you know, I had a, uh, I had completed, uh, high school already, uh, by the, you know, when, when I was incarcerated. So I had, you know, no educational opportunities, uh, afforded oh. to me. Uh, and it was, you know, it's the challenge, it's, that particular aspect that why aren't we offering people you know why would we put lock people away and because they've done some transgression to themselves or society uh, and then not offer them anything in the year two three four five ten twenty years that they're gone you're not offering them anything what do you expect them to do when they get back you know well, how, I- how are they going to be more productive citizens if you don't offer them yeah, that's
0: my, That was my question. I mean, I've only seen prison because of television. I don't know anything. I mean, I've, I've visited yep. people in a uh, low security facility, but I've never been into a maximum security prison. My idea of it is that all you're doing is you have to join a gang. Otherwise, everybody's trying to kill you constantly like you don't have any chance to do anything like sit down and read a book because somebody's gonna take it away from you and beat you up or stab you because you're reading that's what my idea of prison is
5: (laughs) Uh, you know so that that's definitely the way prison is portrayed and there's of course uh truths to all portrayals uh and also some inaccuracies to to all portrayals sure um but so, so the truth to that is, you know, I'll I'll explain it in the way of me losing my father, for instance. So, uh, death and dying is difficult for most human beings. It's a difficult thing and we go through this thing called grieving and there's, uh, you know, known stages to grieving. Um, When you think about uh, like the stage of anger is one of the stages of grieving. Like you can feel angry about what's happening. Uh, In prison, i can't just be i just can't just start yelling at someone and cursing and being angry at someone uh that could literally cause me my life and cause me physical harm so you know you you can't you can't be angry that you have to be you have to pull that back some another another uh aspect of grief is sadness and you know crying comes along with that crying could be seen as vulnerability and, and weakness and could cause you harm, even, you know, death. So there are those aspects of prison, and it is this very volatile situation where, um, you know, vulnerability will be, you know, people would no- will notice that and potentially mm-hmm. act on it to cause you harm. Um, and, you know, that's where I channeled my this emotional distress that everyone is going through in prison and coincidentally the reason there's the heightened volatility of interactions is because everyone is dealing with some types of trauma and emotional distress but they can't you know they can't channel it the way we can on the outside so it results in people acting out in in different ways that you know may be violent um but yes to your point um there is a good deal of, you know, that that takes place in prison, and I and, and I talk about that in the book, and you know, the ways that I successfully navigated those spaces, um, and, and ways for uh, you know individuals to really stay connected with community and a and a and a positive social net, uh, you know, pro social connections. On the outside or on the inside, even to really move away from those more dangerous interactions. Do you do you talk about the
2: earlier charges that you had, and like, did you end up getting incarcerated with the earlier charges, or is it pretty much uh, most is most everything focused after the prosecutor and the yeah. and the imprisonment with the last one?
5: Yeah. So, uh, great question. The the book is uh, you know, from prison cells, to PhD, it's never too late to do good. And, um, it's set up, you know, the first part of the title is clearly kind of my path, uh, you know, going to prison and, you know, then moving on to getting my PhD. Uh, but the book is, it, it is about my journey, but it's not really about me. It's more so about others journey and the journey of individuals who end up in prison. And the different social societal economical uh, challenges and things that go on around people that end up in prison so I talk a little bit about that and I the book is set up in three parts so you know pre-prison and the different things going on in my life and just the world um, you know pre-prison then you know I go through my time in prison and then I you know go through uh, my time after prison um, and so the The other subtitle of the book, It's Never Too Late to Do Good, is actually a phrase that my father used to tell me. So uh, English was actually my second language that I learned. My family, as I mentioned, we were immigrants from Haiti, Uh, and our primary language we spoke was Haitian Creole. And uh, as I was interacting and getting deeper and involved in the system, my dad used to tell me, il ne je pas toi pour faire bien. Which the literal translation is "it's never too late to do good," but the you know, as with many language translations, they you know don't always translate exactly. Uh, and this, the more accurate meaning of what he was mentioning was "it's never too late to reach your full potential," and it's never too late to do the right thing. So what he was telling me is that I believe in you, and one day. I believe that you will believe in you and you will believe that you can bring value to this world in this different way than how you see it now Um, and you know that of course I didn't get that full message Uh, you know I was you know he, he ended up leaving before I had the opportunity to let him know that I started to understand that but it's actually this very powerful message for the for the criminal legal system we so often want to throw people away and, you know, give people long sentences and light sentences. Uh, but in his perspective, he had this patience that said that, you know, you have the ability to do good. And I believe that eventually you will see it in yourself. Um, I believe in you and, and you just need to believe in yourself. And, you know, I, I know that you will get there one day. Uh, and when you're there, I'll be there with open arms to embrace you and accept you. And a lot of times, particularly in in black communities, um, even parents and family end up throwing their family members away once they enter the legal system because they feel that they are hopeless and irreparable. Um, So that was one of the guiding messages that I leaned on to really help me through this idea of, I am not this Career criminal. I I have the ability to do good. I have the ability to bring value into the world.
0: Uh, how many? Okay, so you must have made a lot some friends in prison. Did any of them get out uh, and lead productive lives? What What is the likelihood yeah. of something yeah, somebody like you happening?
5: <laughs> That's a great question. And so. I'll I'll throw some numbers out Um, and so 75 roughly 60 to 75 percent of people that leave prison will end up stepping back in prison Uh, if a person just simply steps foot on a college campus uh, and doesn't even get their degree or certificate they lower the recidivism rate or chances of going back to prison down to the teens. So from you know, nearly uh-huh. 60 to 70 down to the teens. If you get an associate's degree, it drops it down to 13%, a bachelor's degree down to 5%, a master's or higher, and it's less than 1%. You essentially eliminate the possibility of going back to prison. Um, so my organization uh, was co-founded by two individuals that I was incarcerated with. Uh, once this change started taking place in me and I you know, they they saw me reading some of these more dense medical articles and things of that nature and you know, I'm telling and, and I started to believe in myself. Uh uh, you know, I would tell them like, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna be a doctor and they just like look at me and laugh and like, Do you see where we are? What what are you talking about? Are you yeah. crazy? <laughs> uh, and so they thought it was all a joke. Uh and um I ended up getting out and then Moving in that direction Uh, and of course staying in touch with a bunch of people I was incarcerated with and You know the two co-founders were inspired by this and once they got out I helped them use education to as this transformative tool themselves Uh, And then the three of us kind of started just helping others that were incarcerated with uh, To tap into education and use it as this transformative tool Uh, and then eventually uh, we ended up starting the organization in 2017 as an official 501c3, mm-hmm. um, and and started doing work. We 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 realized that the criminal conviction question was this barrier on employment and application, So we started doing ban the box work, um, and and my story was picked up by uh, the Washington Post, and and from there kind of exploded, which actually led into to the book deal and things of that nature. But it it really led to our message getting, uh, reaching more individuals that we were hoping it to reach. Uh, And and that was kind of the start of the building of our organization, which has now been about five years, and we connect with close to 500 currently and formerly incarcerated people per year to help them tap into education as this transformative tool. And we have about a 95% success rate of helping individuals currently currently and formerly incarcerated men and women um, get into college so um there's a that's we, amazing across so we're the building country a strong army of folks that are using education
2: what 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 was your question, Michael? Is that across the country or is that in, in a particular prison you're working
5: yeah uh we uh, we have a footprint in uh thirty five states at the Good. moment, so we're we're nationally uh, uh you know in terms of the formerly incarcerated people that we help in terms of the people that start our program on the inside, the currently incarcerated folks, uh, we're currently inside Maryland prisons, D.C. jail or prison. Um, uh, We're moving into Missouri, which is my home state. Um, You know, I live in the Baltimore, D.C. area, but, you know, from St. Louis, as I mentioned. Uh, So in Missouri prisons, California and North Carolina. So we're, we're... we're expanding we you know with the we've been fortunate enough to get some strong donors and funding that that is that is helping that expansion um, we got a big grant from the National Science Foundation we've actually went after some non-traditional funders like we're, we're really science focused uh, but that's not our only focus but just you know with my background um, we've been fortunate enough to really get some funders and donors to really believe in the idea the The numbers, I mean, the numbers don't lie it's it's very clear that education is the most powerful tool, so why aren't we using it? Um so we've been fortunate well, enough to get some good that, funders to help us expand our mission I, I,
0: that's a great point um and you're you're fighting have you know people that have had years of bad experiences and and doing. You know, most likely illegal things. So they're in prison, and then you're dealing with them. What? To me, it's like, what is the answer about getting kids more excited about going to school when they're younger, when they're in communities where perhaps education isn't really the biggest focus?
5: Yeah, and I, I get that question a lot. And I, I jokingly say, you know, that's going to be my next nonprofit that I start. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly since my wife is an early educator, and you know she taught both in Ferguson right when uh, all the things were happening around the killing of Mike Brown all right, uh, yeah. and then we moved to Baltimore and then all of a sudden it, it was like for for a moment I thought it was following me uh, <laughs> we, we then moved to Baltimore City, and all the things happened with Freddie Gray, and then she was a teacher in Baltimore City when that was going on. Um, so she's had these unique teaching experiences in these, uh, you know, from you know communities that um, are facing these different challenges. And what the answer to you, you are absolutely correct. We need to be starting it. My work that I'm doing now with the nonprofit is after people, there's already been a number of things and challenges and uh, systems that have, could have done a better job for individuals uh, by the time they they reach our organization um but you're absolutely correct we we need to i'm working on we we have successfully created a prison to college pipeline we've helped people you know who are currently and formerly incarcerated move into college so we've created this prison to college pipeline but we know as i just mentioned we need to find a way to go back a little earlier and yeah. stop the school to prison pipeline um and you know partly that you know, again, maybe the second nonprofit that I started. I, I truly believe, and my wife is truly passionate. She has an advanced degree and, and working with uh, marginalized communities for early education. Um, and the, we need to be providing more mentorship, encouraging, instead of the young me, for instance, I probably, you know, have the same intellectual capacity that I, you know, clearly possess. Um, but you know, I was a I was a three sport athlete. Mostly my the adults and you know, teachers and authorities in my life really harnessed in on my athletic abilities, my troublemaking ability. There was less attention on my intellectual abilities. Um so one, you know, really letting young black boys and girls understand that they can, you know, the possibilities of what they can be. In expanding their mind, a lot of people, you know, the work that we do, even in our organization, is the broadening of horizons. Because most of the people that we interact with, even from when they were kids, never believed that they could be in a position like I'm in. It just was not something that is for them. College wasn't for them. Um, so, changing that mindset, right? But That's then tough. Places like Baltimore City and Ferguson are just underfunded. So, I mean, there's there's that situation of how do we get these schools better funding and support for teachers um, and, and you know that that would be another big challenge we have to, to hurdle we have to get over as a society
0: yeah there's a lot of hurdles I mean it's cultural it's systemic it's all it's all of those things it's all it's, it all needs a lot of work <laughs> it really does well I guess we had probably better wrap this up right we've had you way too long yeah but it's been really a fascinating conversation. I've I've loved hearing about this because, yeah, I, I just, to find out that there's some hope for people is just a great thing, um, especially the, the most yeah. at-risk people that you can find. To find out that there's hope is yeah. just, it's fabulous. And someone like you that's actually lived that life and done so much with your life yeah. after, afterwards, it's just, I mean, people are going to listen to you.
5: uh, Yeah, one phrase that is often used is is going from dope dealer to hope dealer. uh, (laughs) And uh, another one is, uh, you know, now uh, I'm moving words, not weight. uh, But, (laughs) you know, my words carry weight. So in a way, I'm still moving and moving the weight. But, yeah, it's it's, it's providing hope and letting people and believing in people and, and really trying to instill that hope. Individuals so they can believe in themselves and then providing some support around them.
0: Absolutely. So we've got Dr. Stanley Andrees. His book is From Prison Cells to PhD. It is never too late to do good. You can get his book on Amazon and probably you have a website maybe?
5: Yeah. So uh, From Prison Cells to PhD, you can find information about the book and our, our nonprofit. Uh, you can find us on all the major social media outlets at prison to pro. Uh, and then mine is at professor Andre's. Uh, so we would love to connect with you, reach out if you, you know, we have many volunteer opportunities for people all across the country. So if you want to help out, you want to donate, we would, we would love your support.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to us today.
5: All right. Have a good day. Thank you. you too.
0: Bye bye. So I forgot all about breaks. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like. That, <laughs> was, oops. Well, he's, that's that was great listening to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just don't hear that kind of story very often. It's no. just it was. I, I was fascinated. Anyway, so Andy, you can just insert the breaks, right?
4: Oh uh, yeah, I can do that after the fact. Okay.
0: So, and where are we with time? Do we we have another set, or can should we wrap um, this one we're up?
4: We're at about a half hour, so yeah, another ten minutes or so.
0: Okay, well let's do a break now.
4: Oh, okay.
0: And then we'll come back and finish it up.
4: Is dad home or was dude just Yeah, he you? he
0: came he
3: came in. Oh, I don't you know go. what he's doing. He's
1: <laughs> whatever. Okay. Putting the
3: groceries. in. Okay. Okay. We'll,
0: we'll be back in a minute.
3: The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan's Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new
0: Hey, look who I found! Hey. hey, how you doing? How's
3: everything going? Nice
0: to show up for the last eight thanks minutes. Nice
3: to come in, huh? <laughs> Catherine did a great um, job. Yeah, we the had interview. a we
0: had a we had a great guest. Yeah, you would have. Liked That's
3: what him. I understand. The guest was terrific.
0: Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, it makes everybody look like they just sit on their ass and do nothing (laughs) when you talk to someone like that. Because most
3: people do just sit on their ass and do nothing. It's amazing. might have something to do with it. So you had a great guess. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Basically, I just went through a situation where it took me 20 minutes to go seven blocks because the traffic was so bad, I couldn't get anywhere. That's
0: why we need hoverboards. We do.
3: (laughs) We do need Another hoverboards. Another reason why mm-hmm. we need I've hoverboards. I've been saying this forever. <laughs> so
0: many reasons why we need hoverboards. It's just unbelievable. Bounce above the cars. I mean, i
3: got to be honest with you. I will never, ever again, after 11 o'clock, go west instead of east. I would always go east. Oh, I don't know no what no the matter what, would I will be. head east. Mm.
0: Yeah. How about south?
3: Like, How about Do north?
1: east? North, what about northwest? Not west. <laughs> northwest? Is that okay? West.
3: But here's my favorite part. <laughs> i'm going out there i'm looking for this i'm looking for that and blah 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 i'm like, take, trying to take care of this stuff and try oh by the way i got the car wash i filled up the car and got it washed right there at the gas station 400 uh it was 92. dollars. Oh. I, I was on the phone oh. with michael bryant when i filled it up yeah he was 92 dollars to fill up the car and then i ran it through the car wash i just got out and brought the groceries in it looks like they never washed the car hmm. oh it looks terrible So I'm going to go to the guys across the street and ask them to do it. They do a great job. No, they'll do a great job. But here's my favorite. So I get on the phone with Catherine. I said, there is no way I'm going to make it. I'm going to try to be there about 15 minutes late. And I ended up being a half an hour late. But as I'm talking to Catherine, I'm looking for ground pork for one of the things that she wants to make. Found out I had to have them grind up a pound and a half of pork for me because they didn't have any ground pork. So that took about another 15 minutes. It was a thrilling trip.
0: Well, at least you've got something to complain about. I'm not complaining about it. I'm (laughs) just
3: pointing out the fact that I am a. Was that Tevin? Is that that Trader Trader Pittman? Hey, it's his birthday. (laughs) It is his birthday.
0: Oh, happy birthday. You
3: and Tony Lee. What is that?
0: I don't know. Somebody's drilling here
3: now. Yeah, Yeah, it keeps happening. I know. I kept on trying to turn
0: off my mic, so it just started. It just
1: started. I don't know.
3: I can't take much more of the drilling. Yep. They're just following They're you just around. You go.
1: I've <laughs> hired someone to just follow you with a drill <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and randomly use
3: it when <laughs> you it.
1: it does I feel that way it. back for any time you've ever been, you know, unkind to me.
3: Hey, I'm working on a new impression. You want to hear it? Yeah. Here's my new impression. <clears throat> I'm Kevin Pittman. I'm a big da- big deal now. What do you think of that impression?
4: <laughs> what? what, is, what is, I don't even get deal.
1: it. What? What, what is that? <laughs> That was,
3: uh, that was weird. But I heard that somebody is uh, might be moving on to a, a big-shot career. Uh, moving on. I uh, yeah, I would definitely wouldn't call it a big-shot career. Yeah, unless, on, unless Doug's listening,
2: then then yes, it's a big-shot career. Mm-hmm. But
1: What's your big-shot career?
2: Uh, oh, no, I'm just working at Walls are here starting next month. Well,
1: that's you're exciting. Kidding. Mm-hmm. You,
2: you believe supposed, that?
1: You yeah. Can I get a free cars?
5: car? No, yeah, wait, I already I'll, did. T- I'll, see, I'll see what I can do. I'll get you, yeah, so get we have you a good deal.
3: Yeah, can we get a free car from (laughs) Uncle Tevin? (laughs) Are
1: you going to be selling cars or are you doing, oh, that's fun.
3: You got to do that one one thing for me. You got to do it for me. One of your first ones, if anybody's giving you trouble, do what the guy didn't use cars. Get in a goddamn car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think
0: he should do that. Start well, negotiating on well on because right. Tevin's we a little ways, larger than most guys. and fired it might... on
2: your first day. I think that's, that's it, number one yeah. on the list. You should. Well, start, that's true. You should no. start negotiating point. Point. on prices. Yeah. Just uh, because I know we, they say we can't, but right. I'm going I'm to yeah. negotiate with you. They make an you. exception for me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great, Tevin. Congratulations. Oh, Doug yeah, Sprinthal just you. horrible to work with, I'm that's telling you. That's what i heard. I dropped his name once, and they almost threw me out. So I, was like, <laughs> I promise I won't bring him up ever again. <laughs> probably, a, probably a good plan. No, it'll be great. Uh, Paul and Andrew do a fun... Well, Andrew's running the show now. Paul's just sitting on his ass looking out the window. You know. But no, they're great people to work with and for. You're, you're going to love it, pal. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great.
0: You. Yeah, everybody we know who works there ends up staying there a long time.
3: It's true. Well, and
0: loving their job. So You're going to be good.
3: working with Jerry anyway, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Like, I was walking through and heard my name get yelled from across
2: the, the room, and I was like, What the, <laughs> the hell are you
3: doing here? I was like, I don't know, I know anybody that worked
4: here.
5: He's
0: yeah, so been there for a, a really long time. I have a
4: grudge with Doug. Because he took Jerry away from the New Hope Cinema Girls, mm-hmm. so we don't get ribs anymore.
5: Mm. Way to go!
2: <laughs>
1: oh, he works at Walzer now. Yeah, he's been working at Walzer for a long time. Well, I'm I, supposed I to
2: be bringing in Melissa or. Um, Molasses cookies. And yeah, he to like Oh no, yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I remember. He claims he's going to bring in, but no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. No. I
1: love a molasses cookie. Yeah, he said that's
2: four. what he's going yeah, cool. cool. to do,
1: they bring it Delicious. You in particular.
4: I feel like molasses is underappreciated these I love days. molasses. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you, know
1: that you can take a spoonful. I know that I'm showing my hippy-dippy-lady traits here, but you can take a spoonful of black-strap molasses every day as a multivitamin.
2: Wow. Nice. All I knew about molasses has was it was so slump. many
1: like vitamins and minerals in oh. it that you can just some people just do that as a multivitamin. Huh.
2: Tasty. And what is molasses? Like is it just like <clears throat> It's
4: unrefined sugar <throat> basically. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah.
4: It's basically you take the uh, sugar beets usually and uh, you extract the sugar out of them in like a It's basically like simple syrup, kind of. Oh, okay. But that's how it comes out of the beets, is you boil them, and then the sugar comes out and that sort of thing. But then usually what they do is they'll evaporate out the moisture so you're left with crystals, which they then crush. Oh, okay. But molasses is just, you don't bother with doing that i think it tastes better than sugar so it is. does it
3: really it's
2: delicious mm-hmm. depends on the sugar did you
0: just I remember well, always bry bryer bry or something yeah Briars, Rabbit, right brayer Bray rabbit, rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i remember always having mm-hmm. a bottle of that in the back of the cupboard growing always. up because my mom used them for cookies just during christmas oh yeah huh.
1: yeah yep i make ginger snaps every christmas for dan's family and i use the molasses yeah. Bust out the molasses, and I made—oh my gosh—I made a molasses cake. Remember this Christmas? Yeah, for Melissa, yeah. gluten-free. That was delicious. It was really good. I love molasses.
2: And it's you made it for somebody else, but you know it was delicious.
1: Well, we had that it. We had it, it, it. it. <laughs> we had so it. We had it at our Christmas dinner because <laughs> she can't eat gluten, and so I made it. It was like for yep. her, and she took most of it mm-hmm. home, but
4: I had a piece of and molasses it. Molasses is also the deadliest condiment. The deadliest. What? 1919, Massachusetts. <clears throat> Got flooded with molasses, killed 21 people.
2: <laughs> really? How did you get flooded with like a pressurized
4: of... tank of molasses exploded? Oh, that's Jeez. not good. Well, yeah. it wasn't the
0: molasses. It was no, the explosion. It
4: was, was uh, 13,000 <laughs> yeah. tons of molasses uh, at 35 miles an hour rushed no, through Massachusetts. That... It rushed through Boston. Wow. What? Yeah, I still so don't understand getting... how you
0: die from molasses. Well, I
4: mean, imagine getting hit with <laughs> something that thick at 35 miles an hour. It's like getting hit by a car.
0: Oh. Okay. Yeah. Ugh.
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Not no, a good way to thank go. thank you.
4: Well, and also, people, it was so tall that people they tried to like swim out of it, but it was so dense that they yeah, couldn't. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you can't
1: move god. out of. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: That's uh, very weird. That's the weirdest that's really way to die very I've very ever weird heard of. Way to it was die. Just like so.
1: Very so you just weird. just got hit
4: and had no idea. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god. He get hit, hit from behind by. Warp speed molasses. Yeah, and then
1: you try all to the ways you can probe. You can't move. It's like those
4: exactly. dreams that's where you're trying to run, but you can't.
1: Because <laughs> you're stuck but in molasses. Tastier. Well,
3: you know what I love about this. You guys are all talking about molasses. Is that the other thing? And then the poor boy over here. I'm going. I think my dad used to like cornbread and sorghum. He couldn't mm-hmm. afford molasses, so he put sorghum molasses on that. Molasses is sorghum. cheap. Is it? Yeah, yeah.
1: briar Rabbit is like not.
3: It's not as cheap as sorghum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I
2: don't know where you get
4: sorghum. sorghum. <laughs> I, uh, I mean,
0: sorghum
1: is what what a like a grain.
4: Yeah.
1: And yep. I know pheasants I know, love it. but, like, where do you even, like, there's there's just, there's like, go to cup go to foods and, yeah, and be high, like, I would the like I think
0: so There's beer made from it because it's gluten-free. Yeah, it's gluten-free, yeah. Oh. Yeah.
2: I, think, I didn't I think know I was going to yeah. make you a cake for your birthday. I'll make you a sorghum. I need half of it, and then i would be like, here's what's left. Yeah, I, like, I made this
3: for you, Kevin. It's gone, but I Let's really do Let's find the cheapest know.
2: ingredients in the, in the world. The
0: sentiment is a cake. It's I think we should get five
3: people talking at once. This is <laughs> working really well.
0: Well, well. Everything was fine until you showed up. Yeah,
3: I noticed. It's called sweet sorghum,
4: and yeah, it's basically molasses made out of sorghum. So hey,
3: It's a cheap, it's cheap molasses
4: I uh, yeah it seems that what's way. it called yeah S- sorghum, sorghum syrup sweet sorghum, sorghum syrup oh sorghum okay. molasses because sorghum itself is just like a grain
1: yeah it's just yeah. a grain yeah mm-hmm.
4: but i guess yeah. you can make molasses out of it if
3: you really want to indeed should
0: we wrap this first hour up have we done our have we done our time yes we have
3: but well, we have okay. okay we'll go to school uh, we should now. mention on should mention on the way out, ladies and gentlemen, that Mari Povich has retired. So I'm oh. sure we'll see him down at uh, down at the Breakers more often I over did. the winter. And... I didn't
0: know he was still working.
3: Yeah, he's still working. Somebody's got to tell he's me who doing? your father are. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: <laughs> yeah. How he's are, still are doing people going to know? Yeah. I don't think he still
3: know, does, does that. I don't does think he? So I
4: have
1: no
0: idea. I don't know. I don't watch daytime TV.
4: Mm, well, he's 83 years old, so is he really?
3: He looks
1: good. I saw him a couple years ago, and he looks good.
3: Yeah. Great guy, actually. He's a very nice man. All right, we'll take our break and be right back. We'll schmooze. We got Kostaki in the second hour, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. We'll be back with the
1: family.